Each day, all over the world, thousands of healthcare learners experience the power of simulation. This is the BS Podcast. Wait, what? 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 Beyond Simulation. Exploring the stories of the people behind these masterfully implemented simulations. Each episode discovers the real stories of how these connoisseurs got into simulation and why they stayed. This is the Behind the Music podcast of the world of simulation. Hi, my name is Christine Park, and I'm the director of the Simulation and Integrative Learning Institute at the University of Illinois College of Medicine. And I am Bob Kaiser. I am the Associate Director of Sale. Okay, Bob, ready to talk some BS? Let's do it. Sounds good. Today, I am very pleased to welcome Sean Galeen to the podcast. Sean is a professor in the School of Medicine, a director in the Office of Standardized Patient Education, which is in the Center for Interprofessional Education and Simulation, otherwise known as SITES, at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Welcome, Sean. Thank you both so much. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Hi, Sean. Um, and isn't there something new in your life also? I, I feel like there's a new title, a new role. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I am currently president-elect for, for the Association of Standardized Patient Educators, or ASPE. Congratulations. Congratulations. That's amazing. Look forward to your presidency. Yes, we do. What are three things that you're professionally known for, Sean? Ah, so uh, I I guess if you you took a look at my CV, three things that would stand out is, um, one, I I actually did did have success as a biomedical researcher. Um, I was one of the first to describe uh, the production of a neuroendocrine hormone by the immune system. Uh, that's what I got my, my master's work on. And um, then we were working on a, a vaccine for, for multiple sclerosis. Some of that work is still ongoing. Um, hope to ultimately see something come with that uh, with time. I think... Um, uh, education is, of course, the biggest thing professionally that I'm known for um, at, at UAB. Um, I've been involved with education um, back since the mid-90s, not to, to date myself too much, but that's when I, I started my uh, teaching career, and uh, that, that has grown to, you know, now I, I, I teach all, uh, really across the, the year and, and direct multiple courses. The other thing that sort of stands out on my CB is service. Um, so I'm a member of a lot of um, committees and, and have been. Usually once I start something, I'm dedicated to it. Uh, a good example of that is the at School of Medicine Admissions Committee. I've been part of that since 2005. Um, actually, one year I was the interim chair of the admissions committee, which is wonderful to be on because I, I get to see our medical students in the application process, the admissions process. I'm a course director for them in their second year. I run a mind-body medicine course for them that encompasses all four years. And then to see them come in and out of the SP Center 
you know, throughout their their education. Um, I'm really uniquely allied to to really watch and see these medical students grow through throughout their career. Uh, but any of the the committees that I'm involved in on campus all revolve also around education, like our medical education committee, um, you know, education curriculum steering committees, things like that. Uh, I've always been passionate about curriculum development, and that that shows in a lot of the committees and, and service activities I do for the university. Great. So, Sean, our guests, just to get us going, each each guest, we ask them to uh, give us certain items that are not on their CV so we get to know you, the person. So uh, I have spun a random number generator, and the uh-huh. number that I got was three. So uh-huh. can you tell us three things that are not on your CV? Three things that are not on my CV. Um, yeah, I guess the first one, uh, which some people know about is um, although I'm, I'm professor by day, I am a yoga instructor by night. Um, so I have I am a certified yoga instructor and uh, lo- love love teaching yoga. Um, that also allows me for community service here in the in the Birmingham area. I provide a lot of yoga classes. Um, not only the places I work, but also, um, you know, fundraising events or for special programs um, here in Birmingham. One program I work very closely with is called Team RWB, which stands for Team Red, White, and Blue. And that is an organization dedicated to veterans and keeping awareness and support for our uh, uh, former service personnel. And uh, very, very honored to be part of that. Um, also in the in the yoga realm, uh, a lot of people probably don't know this, but I am a ambassador for Lululemon Athletica clothing, and uh, uh, actually was uh, an ambassador for quite some time, and now am a legacy ambassador for for life. So. Uh, Love working with Lululemon. They um, actually are who really support all of my community events. So whenever I hold something, you know, just for the public, they always bring, you know, refreshments and extra mats and help me arrange music and, and all of that. So it's, it's an honor to work with them. Uh, so that's two. I guess number three would be a lot of people don't know, but my biggest hobby in the world is cooking. And uh, actually, uh, it's been a decade or more ago. I actually contemplated whether to stay in my current profession or or leave and and go to culinary school. I, I love to cook. Um, that actually was one of my first career paths in life, but it didn't go very far. Uh, UAB grabbed me and uh, I, I stayed with, with science and medicine and medical education, but uh, I do love to cook and often wonder what it would have been like if I had pursued that career pathway. I, yeah, I did not know that, Sean. Uh, good <laughs> yeah, to know. So actually, after we hang up from this call, I've, I've actually got some uh, sourdough starter waiting for me downstairs. I always break bake bread over the weekends, so getting oh, ready wow. for, for my uh, bread making here coming up. Yum. It's almost yeah. lunchtime here. So thank <laughs> you. <for that. laughs> 
Okay, so Sean, they say that, you know, as we grow up, that we keep our inner child. So I'm curious, who is Kid Sean? What was yeah. it like to be a kid? I'm still Kid Sean. I never want to grow up. Um, uh, Kid Sean, I, w- one thing people probably don't know about me as well is I often refer to myself as an extroverted introvert. Um, I uh, actually grew up as a child very painfully shy. Still am. Um, I think uh, being involved in, in teaching and education over the years has helped me come out of that shell a little bit and um, you know now I really enjoy when I'm am able to present to people or, or present in, in front of an audience but uh, painful, painfully shy a, a little bit but uh, I'm uh, a kid at heart uh, you know I, I still love you know just playing around you know with, with my pets or in the yard or, or anything like that um, I, I will, I will watch a cartoon now and then, <laughs> um, you know, work, work is hard. Adulting is hard. Uh, so, you know, I will stay a kid at heart always, I think. Nice. That's great. Sean, I actually had a question for you about the cooking, Yeah, which is sure. uh, of the basic skills that are considered basic. Uh-huh. What's actually the most difficult to pick up? Is it a knife skill? You know, is it knife skills a staff? are difficult? Yeah, knife skills are difficult. You know, I, I tell people, you know, you've got to be very, very careful, especially if you keep your knives regularly sharpened and, and all of that. You've got to be very careful and, and learn some, you know, basic uh, slicing and, and dicing techniques. Um, I've myself been injured i've seen other people injured working working with knives the other thing is learning um you know that the the knife can be your best friend once you take the time and really learn how to use a knife you can speed up you know meal preps and all that dramatically um you know learning to dice an onion and and things like that um that so helpful once you can master some of those basic skills. And speaking of onions, did you ever know if you'll light a candle when you're dicing an onion, it will help prevent you from crying? It burns off the the flame, the fire burns off the gases that are admitted uh, when when the onion is sliced. I never knew that. How close does the candle have to be to the onion? Actually quite close. Okay. so you don't want it like in the way or anything like that. You can set it off to the side, but, um, you know, it, it needs to be somewhat in the vicinity of where you're chopping. It can't be like across the room or something like that. I am going to try that tonight. <laughs> little, little I will report FYI back. there. Now, if you're well, it's super strong, it may not it totally eliminate it, but uh, it, it can be beneficial. I foresee a um, knife skills onion chopping checklist being developed. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That's our lives. Checklist. Checklist. <laughs> Sean, so tell us about the journey that got you into simulation. Yeah. 
So uh, professionally, I've had a very interesting journey. I started, uh, I started UAB as a dishwasher in a research lab. Um, I was going to school as an undergraduate and had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And uh, at that time, I was commuting from my hometown, which is about an hour north of Birmingham. Gadsden, Alabama is where I was raised. And um, my parents told me uh, I could move once I found a job. So I did find a job in a, in a research lab washing test tubes and graduated cylinders and flasks and all of that. And um, quickly uh, became... Um, you know, entranced in, in medical research and biomedical research. And next thing I knew, I just, I graduated uh, with a bachelor's of science, uh, started a master's program. Uh, way back then, masters were still a, a big thing to do um, in, in, in medicine. And went on and got my PhD and thought I was going to be with research, you know, the rest of my life. But once I got my full first faculty appointment, uh, they told me, you know, now that you're faculty, you have to start teaching. And at that time, teaching was not on my radar at all. I had never thought about education. And part of that goes back to that introvert part of myself. I was so happy you know, being alone in a, in a fume hood, working with a test tube, you know, because it was just me and the, and the glassware. Um, so I was uh, very, very scared, I, I guess is the best word, to embark on learning how to teach. Um, but that changed my career path completely. And um, from that time forward, uh, I slowly started getting out of research and becoming more involved in medical education and um, ultimately became or was named course director for endocrinology for the second year medical students. And that that has been one of my, my biggest hats that I wear at UAB for the past decade now. So very, very happy to, to be part of uh, the curriculum for the School of Medicine. I also teach endocrinology um, really across campus. I'm, I'm the primary physiology teacher when it comes to endocrinology for not only School of Medicine, but um, I've taught in the uh, schools of dentistry, school of optometry, the graduate school, um, master's courses, uh, the PA program. I, I've, I've taught, taught endocrinology all over, all over campus. That's one of the things I'm known for at UAB. And being involved in medical education, people knew I had a, a, a passion about education. And so when the uh, previous director of the Standardized Patient Center uh, retired, um, the, the, I was approached about whether I wanted to uh, be a you know, be considered for that position. And I had been involved with simulation at UAB for uh, a few years, uh, three or four years prior to that. So simulation at UAB falls under the Center for Interprofessional Education and Simulation, or SIPES as we call it. And under SIPES there is a uh, Office of Simulation, so that oversees um, simulation for both campus as 
well as the health system. And then there's the Office of Standardized Patient Education. So we're unique in that we do have a separate entities for simulation and standardized patient activities. And uh, I jumped on it. Um, that, that interests me a lot. I, you know, once I got involved in simulation, I really um, embraced it. And I was actually one of the first course directors at UAB to incorporate simulations into their actual course. So endocrine systems was the first course um, in the medical school curriculum to offer interprofessional simulation around endocrine disorders. And now all of the courses do. And I think my interest is, is what got the conversation started about me taking on the role of, of the director of the SP Center. And I've never regretted it. If anything, it has, it has created a professional growth that I did not really know was still in there. Um, you know, this is this is not. I don't even consider it separate from what I was doing before. I think it's more of an extension of my, um, you know, passion for for educating students. And um, you know, it's it's been an interesting journey. Um, you know. I think within three months of my taking that position is when I first met Bob. You know, I, I really did not know much about SP methodology specifically. I knew about OSCEs and, and things like that. But as far as actually working with standardized patients, I was very naive. So I immediately signed up and took the UIC uh, SP Educator Certificate uh, course, which I highly, highly recommend. Um, and that laid the foundational groundwork for me to come back and really get started on, you know, not only continuing the quality work that was already being offered, but to really expand um, and and grow that, that SP Center and uh, ha have had a, a ball doing it. And, uh, you know, then becoming involved with ASPE, you know, started its own avenue of professional growth for me and really seeing what a global community of SP educators we actually have. I, you know, once again, I had no idea. And that first year of being director of an SP center just w was an amazing year for me because it opened my eyes to this whole other chapter of medical education or health professional education that I, I didn't even know existed a year prior to that. Sean, so I wonder if you could take us uh, on a little trip down memory lane. What, you know, in your first year, what was a, what was a kind of an aha moment or a um, revelation that you experienced? Um, the aha moment was really, so I started right before spring OSCEs. And my aha moment was to see the actual human interactions that can actually be assessments. And I had never really thought about that prior. And to see that you can, you know, how you, assess clinical skills 
in a in a simulated or, or controlled environment. You know, you all, you often think you know students are are being assessed when they're when they're you know doing their rounds in the hospital or whatever as part of the curriculum, but I had never seen it so well structured in you know a, a controlled environment and to really see this this space that I was I was now in charge of really come to, to light. Um, I think the uh-oh moment for me at the same time was the complexity of, you know, what goes on behind the scenes to design those events. You know, working with faculty to develop cases, um, SP training, um, you know, that was one thing that was a natural fit for me and I guess it's because I had been an educator for so long. Um, SP training was something that um, I, I quickly became very fond of and you know uh, found found a natural fit for me and actually that was one of the uh, things I really wanted to look at from both an innovative approach as well as a, a growth approach within our own SP center is how we were training our SPs. And uh, interestingly enough that, you know, that that was one of the things that I embraced early on in my SP world journey. And uh, this year at SP conference will be the first time I'm uh, part of the foundations team uh, in, in the pre-immersion coursework and uh, that's the topic that they've assigned me is types of training. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. It's almost like full circle in a, in a short period of time. So That's great. Sean, so we heard a little bit about your trajectory to this point. What in your um, you know, personal passions, your vision, in the soul of Sean, what's going to fuel that energy for the next 10 years? Yeah. Well, and that's a very good question. And, you know, part of what what is fueling, you know, this this excitement with me right now, I think it will sustain me for quite some time. And that is, you know, everything we do involves education, whether, you know, you're you're designing a, an event that that's going to teach something to to learners or or assess learners you're always involved with with teaching your SPs I feel like you know every time we work with SPs and you know get a get them ready for for portraying a case you know we're, we're educating them you know beyond that they're they're learning about their own bodies their own health and that part I I, I love I'm very very passionate about um, the other thing, you know, over time, I've seen the um, scholarly approach we can have with regards to SP education. So um, back in 2017, I actually got my first grant in SP methodology, and that was to start a, a transgender SP program and start some uh, curricular um, innovations around teaching our medical students uh, competencies around working with transgender individuals and that that has been wonderful uh, we have 16 community members who identify as transgender now working with our medical students and you know that showed me the really the the tip of the iceberg as far as you know how much further 
you know, professionally, you know, I, I can go with this. You know, I, I had no idea scholarly approaches to this type of work were even a possibility when I when I took the job on. I think it was part of my contract that you would, you know, start looking at things in a scholarly lens. But um, uh, until I actually jumped off the, the cliff and, and tried it myself, I, I was not aware of it. Um, I'm now um, co-investigator on a grant with um, uh, faculty in the School of Nursing um, to develop a human trafficking uh, program. So, um, yeah, the, the possibilities are endless. And, you know, our, our world is constantly showing us what, what needs are out there. And, you know, that's one thing I really appreciate about ASPE is we can have these conversations with each other, you know, whether it's the listserv or, or conference or even, you know, committee meetings or, or whatever, that we can have conversations around this and brainstorm and collaborate and, and all of that. I think my next big goal I want to tackle is, is something um, uh, in, interinstitutional. Um, you know, I, I, I've, I've looked at collaboration within the UAB system. Now I'm ready to really reach out and, and try to collaboration um, with another university. And so uh, anybody out there want to talk, hit me up. So. One of the things that I really appreciate about you is uh, it really seems like you're part of that leading edge in terms of showing by doing when it comes to inclusivity and representation. Yeah. And, and what a time in our, in our world to be looking at, you know, um, important and, and sensitive issues like this. You know, we're, we're seeing so much um, go on in our world with regards to, to minorities or marginalized populations or underserved populations. And, you know, it, it's, it's in the highlight in the news every day. And so to be part of of positive change, I mean, what a reward. I mean, it makes your job um, just, just you know, you feel lucky that you, you're put in the position where you can, you can have an influence on, you know, our future generation of healthcare providers. And, and you know, I, and I like to use the term healthcare providers because at UAB, you know, the RSP Center serves, you know, so many different professions. You know, I've already mentioned we work with, of course, the School of Medicine, but also the School of Nursing, Dentistry, Optometry, uh, Health Professions. In the Health Professions, there's, you know, all the subdivisions like the PA program, the Genetic Counseling program, Physical Therapy. So. We work with a lot of different uh, health professions, so I, I try to always keep that in, in my, my speech about UAB because I want to recognize we do way, so much way more than just School of Medicine. We're gonna switch. Uh, we're gonna switch uh, tracks now. We're gonna, we're gonna go on a different different journey right now, if you don't mind. I don't mind. Uh, at all. So, um, and my gut is, I may know the answer to this question. I think, but I'm gonna ask it anyway because maybe you'll come up with something different. If you were prevented from doing anything that you do now professionally, 
what would you be doing? And for the sake of this exercise, you would be fine financially. There's no risk whatsoever. Right. So what would that thing be? Oh, absolutely. I would, I would probably be full-time uh, yoga instructor. Um, I'm not sure about, uh, you know, having my own studio or anything like that, but, um, you know, I, I could see myself easily doing yoga full-time the rest of my life. And part of the reason for that is it allows, it allows me really a unique opportunity to, to work with people um, who just want to better themselves or do something healthy for, for their mind and their body. And I say also their spirit. And what, what I mean by that is the spirit of themselves. A lot of people come to yoga because they're so stressed out. You know, they've got things going on in their, you know, you know their lives that are creating a lot of stress. And when we're super stressed out, we hold a lot of tension in our body. And so, you know, people come and they're, you know, hamstrings are so tight they can't bend over or their shoulders are so tight and neck muscles are so tight they constantly have headaches or other health conditions and so to to work with people and really give them an opportunity to see that you know physical movement can can actually impact not only your physical body but your mental body and your emotional body it's it's a unique thing and and I love it. And, you know, the, to be able to also, you know, go out to the community and, and provide things that bring people from all walks of life who may never meet any other time in life together. It, that's always, always fun. Always fun. And I've actually, uh, one of my last community events, this, it's actually sponsored by UAB. It's called UAB on the Green. Um, this was, of course, pre-COVID, but the last time I, I held yoga on the green, I actually had someone visiting from uh, Aspie, and so they got to take my, my yoga class, and uh, Luke Clark, if you know Luke Clark, she was there uh, visiting and, and giving a, a seminar, and uh, that, that, was, that was a unique for me because that was like all avenues of my life converging into to one moment there on the on the green at UAB. So that was that was nice. Sean, I have to say, so since you know you're the president elect of Aspie, I'm mm -hmm. expecting more yoga to be involved <laughs> with Aspie. I yeah. cannot wait for the class. So. Yeah. yeah. Oh you will you will definitely see a lot of a lot of things around wellness and and you know taking care of not only yourself but uh, your your staff your SPS things like that so yes I, I think I, I hopefully will leave leave part of my mark as as really someone who focused on wellness in SP programs and now I'm looking forward to coming to one of your yoga class <laughs> I actually have uh, free online audio recordings. I have a website. It is called the, T-H-E, yogic, Y-O-G-I-C, professor. And that's all one word, theyogicprofessor.com. Theyogicprofessor.com. Yes. After I chop an onion, I'm going to do some yoga. <laughs> Yeah, and, and after you chop your onion, take your candle and set it by your yoga mat. Adding atmosphere makes yoga so much more enjoyable. I'm going to do that.
So here's a question for you. Sure. If, uh, so one of the great things about simulation is that we can we get to have a do-over. Mm -hmm. And of course, in real life, we don't generally get do-overs. Um, but if we could, what would be one thing that you would do over or do differently in life? I wish, you know, way back I had a explored my, my passion for, for culinary skills a little bit more than, than I did. But at the same time, you know, I, who's to say I can't still, still do that. So that's not necessarily a do over. Um, I think being the introvert part of me, I think prevented myself from being more successful in my, my research life. Um, I, I think I needed that ask of, you know, you've got to teach, you've got to start being on committees and, and being around people and, and um, you know, being part of, of important conversations for the university. Um, you know, th that, that changed me a lot. I wish a lot of that had happened earlier because I, I, I'm serious. If you had met me in graduate school or early in my, my faculty career, it would be a very different person you were talking to. This would have made me, just what we're doing right now would have made me extremely anxious. I keep trying to imagine the introvert, Sean. I, yeah. I've not known. You'll myself. still see it. You'll still see it. You know, you'll, if you walk into a, a, a you know, a, a, a snapshot thing at, at Aspie or something like that, you see this person way back in the corner sitting. That's usually me. Uh, and that's just my natural. It's not, not a, a negative thing. That's just my natural thing. Uh, I, I tend to, to stay in the back, but. I, I think uh, the new position will push me out in front uh, a little more than I'm used to. So that will take some getting used to. Great. So we are going to try something a little different. Uh oh. It's uh, going to be some rapid fire questions. We're going to put 60 seconds on the clock. Bob is going to keep the time and say the first thing that pops into your head. Now this one's making me a little nervous. <laughs> well, the first question you got, Sean, you okay. got the first question. So right. it's, it's easy. So I have 60 seconds on the clock right. and I will start. You ready? Yes. Take a deep breath. Here we go. So are you an introvert or an extrovert? <laughs> Extroverted introvert. <laughs> Excellent. What is a compliment you received that you really liked? Uh, that I'm nice. Oh, I, I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> so cat or dog person? Dog. Excellent. Now, what is the best style of vacation for you? Adventurous or chill and spontaneous or planned? Planned, chilled. That oh, seems contrary, but that's me. Makes sense to me. Uh, when you go to work, who is the first person that you see? Um, my SP educator, Zach Babb. It's the first person I usually see when I walk in the door. All right. And hey, what's the last thing that you read? The last thing I read was a uh, sourdough guide. 
because I'm changing my game up a little bit. That's why I'm excited about this weekend. New flower, new grain. <laughs> and time is up, but this question I actually do want to hear from you. So, and it's our show, so we're changing the rules. All right. So, what's your go to guilty pleasure? Ice cream. <laughs> what kind of ice cream? I don't have a, a, a personal favorite, but if you start getting vanilla and caramel and and nuts together that's usually got my name written all over it um yeah uh butter pecan things like that yeah but ice cream is my guilty pleasure guilty pleasure sounds good okay so sean think about um one person in your life who has been very meaningful and what did you learn from them or, or what did you admire about them? Um, w one person I, I really admire, and it's this is actually in, in the culinary world, is Ina Garden. Some people know her as the Barefoot Contessa. One reason that I admire her is she shows you that regardless of your profession, you can stay humble and have fun with it. And that as you become successful, you should always remember to, to give back to your community. And she's done a, a, an excellent job with that. And, um, you know, I, I, I read a lot about, uh, about, you know, professional chefs and, and all of that. And to me, I've never read one bad thing about her. And uh, she's actually on my list of, of people that I would I would like to meet. Um, the the other person that that comes to mind from a professional world is our um, associate dean of admissions for for UAB. Her name is Dr. Christina Grabowski. And um, she came to UAB from, from Michigan. Uh, she's been at UAB for about four years now. But um, to, to come in and really revamp, um, you know, uh, such an important component of, of medical education and to do it with and be so nice at the same time is is been inspiring for me to see because um you know uh i think people in in upper levels they they have some freedom you know to be tough you know to 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 call people out but she's she's taught me a lot professionally about you know staying humble and staying nice with with your profession and that, that means a lot to me. Well, Sean, Galeen, thank you so much for being here uh, and talking some BS with us today. <laughs> and to conclude, uh, I'd like to ask you, what is one hope that you have for simulation in the future? One hope that I have for simulation in the future is that, um, that we have, 
more resources afforded to simulation, I think simulation has the capacity to impact all areas of education. We often associate simulation with, with health professions, you know, medicine, nursing, things like that. But I think simulation really has so much potential and innovation ahead of it outside of the health professions. And I know I'm, I'm fighting for that here at UAB. I hope other simulation directors are, are fighting for it at their institution, but to, you know, really embrace like schools of business and engineering and criminal justice and things like that. I know some, some simulation centers do that. I just, I would like to see us start really having a, a robust or, or explosion of, of you know, uh, papers and research and, and posters at ASPE and talks at ASPE on all these different avenues of simulation that we could be involved in. And it, it, it's really up to the universities to, you know, uh, allow us to especially allow the school's financial resources and stuff to put those simulations in place. Well, thank you very much. You've been listening to BS Beyond Simulation with your hosts, Christine Park and Bob Kaiser. Thank you for listening, and join us soon for another episode. Mm -hmm.